Lisa and Gary Black here. I crack you up every time. <laughs> yes, you do. You make me laugh. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> anyway, we're on episode seven, seven. of Heart. We've been getting so much um, positive feedback and um, people are really encouraged and excited about this series. And yeah, some um, some are most are encouraged. And then we're, we're getting some really hard questions. Mm-hmm. It's really bothering people's theology, which I'm glad I like to bother That's people's theology. That's what we're theology. here to do. Hey, challenge the status quo. Yes, ma'am. Only for the glory of God, though. We're not here to bring confusion, for sure, because that is um, the opposite of what we stand for. Yeah, I would love for you, babe, to start this last last episode. We talked about the styles yes. that we all get from our childhood. So we were born with these undamaged hearts and we live like ch- ch- with childlike hearts. Right. And Jesus wants to get back to that spontaneous yes. and full of life and wonder and and excitement and then life starts to dull us down. And, and young boys at around 10 or 11, 12 years old and young girls at 8 to 15 start to go to these certain styles. The, the first style is that we move toward people for compliance. We want people. We want to please people. Right. The other one is we push away from people. We resist and we get we get prideful because we've been hurt in our hearts so much. Right. Um, and then the, the third one is the one who completely withdraws and goes into their own imaginary world which you confess was probably you as a child i I went to an imaginary world this morning (laughs) yes (laughs) while i was cleaning (laughs) yes i believe that so out of that and how we talked about last last episode what's kind of on your heart what's happening in you through all of this you know what i think is interesting about all of that is that it's all self-protection yes so it doesn't it's really not this huge mystery of what we're talking about because We are born, I think, with two essential things. We are born with a natural desire to survive, which you you and I travel the world and we've seen people fight to survive. And I'm thinking, what are you fighting for? Like your world of survival is my worst nightmare. Uh, You know, there's there's devastation in Africa, like anything. I'm nothing I've ever seen. And people are still fighting to survive. And I think that's natural for us to do. And it's also natural for us to self-protect. So the second that we're given a message, even as a small child, that this person could hurt you, these words will hurt you, this situation will hurt you, the first thing we do is self-protect. And then a lot of times we get stuck there. Yeah. And that's when... Every time. Every time. Yeah. And that's when, you know, you and I spend a lot of time calling, you know, 30s and 20s and 40-somethings out and saying, are you going to be a man or a woman about this, basically? Because if you stay in your self-protection... You will destroy the people around you. That's right. You will keep everybody. And, and, and the point of all this is love, right? And we cannot love our neighbor. It is impossible if we stay in our damaged hearts, if we stay in our styles right. that we conform to as children. And then we started to really, it became our identity in high school. We're going to talk about that today. And then our identity becomes this imaginary life. And when we can't live up to that, we're disappointed. We become bitter. We become angry. We don't love ourselves, so we can't love others properly and do the greatest commandment. Well, which is why marriages fail. Right. Because I'm so busy trying to protect myself and you're so busy trying to protect yourself that we won't let each other in. I think that stops all intimacy. Our next series should be on marriage. And it's going to be. <laughs> oh, right. wow. We just revealed the, the unknown. The of unknown the future. secret of the next episode or next series. Next series. Is what marriage. do you call them? 
I call. <laughs> Let's not talk about Let's it. Let's not talk about what. Okay, <laughs> so we we looked in the last episode about uh, the two massive reasons that we don't live from our hearts, and we t- we talked about them. We talked. We, we have religious hearts that are blind, hidden, hard, and veiled. Yes. Our hearts are veiled, and then we have style of relationship that makes heart living virtually impossible. Those things we adapt as young people. There's a third reason that we don't live in our hearts that I want to talk about today. So, you know, we talked about the American church suffers desperately and universally from these afflictions. We have become a church that lives from the mind and not the heart. Right. We are religious and have blind, hidden, hard and veiled hearts. And what religion really says is I have found the truth. And this is true with every religion. I have found the truth I am superior to you. This is what we're doing. You are less than. Yes. Until you agree with my truth. That's right. And there's nothing in scripture that will back up my truth. Right. Everything in scripture backs up the truth. Absolutely. And we do it with politics. We do it with everything. everything We do it with everything. You are right. Or you are wrong. And I am right. Yes. This is black and white. And it's not. It never is. It's all about the mystery and life and death. Which what else comes from? I mean, racism is all about superiority. I am right. You are wrong. Sexism, superiority. I am right. You are wrong. All of it. Well, yeah. Feminism is sexism. Right. Because feminism is the hatred of men. Yes. So, yeah, it's all all the isms. Come from what you're talking Don't about. Don't stop listening if you're one of the isms because you got to <laughs> stick We in. love the isms. Just give us a chance. And Open you, your heart. That's number one, uh, our religious blind, hidden heart and veiled hearts. Number two, we've developed a style of relating in our childhood that's damaging. We focus on our uh, on getting attention and how to please or control the people that we live with and we're close to mm-hmm. rather than listening to our hearts, causing us to live from outside influence and control of other people. Yes. The results of both of these is life in part, not the whole of the heart. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the the third reason why we can't live in a soft heart, why we can't live wholly from our hearts. And, And it's really an important one. And it's probably the hardest one for me, if I'm honest. Interesting. Why? Yeah, I have really struggled diving into this specific heart issue. Okay. And I've taken a lot of time on it. I've taken probably the last six, eight months on just this area in my life. And it's because the way that I was taught my whole life, the way I was trained at home, in school, in athletics, on all my sports teams, the way I was trained in church, the way that I actually ran Rock the Nations and spoke from the stage, all of those speak against this this next issue of the heart that we're going to talk about. Everything you believed. Everything. Up until All that I a believed. year ago, two yep. years ago, three years ago. Yeah, coming into You had this. to unlearn. And this, been, the, again to and this one area has been the hardest part for me. Okay, tell you'll, me. You'll know why. Okay. I mean, you'll, you'll track with me. The third reason we don't live in the heart is of supreme importance. When a child learns one of these styles of relationships to move toward people, to move against people or to move away from people in order to avoid the pain of inner conflicts, to resolve the powerlessness of key choices and to minimize the conflicts with others in the family. He also learns to use his imagination to create a world where he where there are no conflicts. Yeah. Now the imagination part is not the hard part for me, but that's coming. But I, I it's interesting as I'm, 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 we're going through this. I still 
live in an imaginary world sometimes. I know you do. You're John Elway. Yeah, well, or at least <laughs> I want to coach the Broncos. Or okay. be, you know, no, it's not even coach anymore. I just want to be the chaplain. Yeah. Because it's, it's a reachable daydream. Okay. To be the chaplain of the Broncos. I'll go there with you. Right? Well, yeah, it'd be awesome. But I, I, you know, those wolf hours when I wake up at 4 a.m. and you go negative, instead of trying to go negative, now I'm trying to go positive. But sometimes I find myself. In a fantasy. In a fantasy daydreaming. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily like a bad fantasy. No. But just daydreaming of, you know, that $2.22 billion coming through a fund so that I can fund all these projects and help all these people. Right. And, you know, those kind of things. And so we do that as little children. We move into an imaginary world when things aren't going well and our hearts begin to see get damaged. We see the world as this really kind of hard, bad place. My mom isn't very happy. My dad's not very happy. Maybe they say, hey, let's go to church and then they get divorced. And we realize that God's probably not very happy yeah. with us. And so we begin to live in this imaginary world, which is I think protective and also dangerous. I think for small children, though, they, a lot of times you don't have any other choice. Yeah, I, we because don't. Because it's, it's just a survival mechanism. Like exactly the world is very big. And when you are a small person, I was telling a group of interns that the other day, I said, you know, we always minimize what people are going through. And I said, I think of the world as a little child. Think of the world when you're like a year and a half old, like our Palmer Grace is right now. Her, like we want to say to a child, don't be afraid of that dog. But if we got down on Palmer Grace's level, that yeah. dog looks like a huge horse. Right. You know, and the world is kind of big and scary to little children. And so they have to they have to develop these under the best circumstances. And as they are vulnerable. And as parents, if we haven't learned to live from our heart wholly, uh, then we're scary. Mm-hmm. And our anger comes oh, and we yeah. our anger. And they see this really scary world after a while and their hearts get damaged and they go into an Im- imaginary life. Right. The young boy starts to imagine the things that would bring him freedom and remove the pain of limitations. He creates new parents that don't fight, a new home with his own room filled with the latest toys. He attributes to himself supernatural abilities like Spider-Man or <laughs> Superman. I would do the Incredibles, of course, of because course. I thought that's what our family was. Every middle-aged man thinks they are Mr. Incredible. But any kind of heroes, which we all know Superman is the best superhero. Of Why? Course, but, well, because he can fly. He has. He can see through things. He can, you know, he's he's the best superhero for sure. Okay. Anyway. That's, I feel like you've had conversations about this. I have. I've had imaginations about <laughs> this. But now I would want to be the Incredibles, right? The dad in the Incredibles. That's awesome. In this little boy's imaginations, there are no limits. He feels powerful, brilliant, liked, and feared. Mm. His inner conflicts, his limitations, his fears almost seem too magically, too magical to disappear in his daydreams. He he idealized superpowers. His idealized superpowers are breathtaking. Wow. Did you ever imagine? Did you ever fantasize as a child? I am Wonder Woman. (laughs) And most women that you meet my age relate to Wonder Woman because she was the first example. Especially now with the new movie. Well, the movie changed everything. I mean, it changed our lives because we never had a superhero like that before. Because it was okay. It wasn't just okay for her to be beautiful. Yeah. She was loved because she was beautiful, but she had a softness about her, but an incredible strength and fearlessness and brave and courageous and all the things that women are. And it was the first time we'd seen on the big screen that it was okay to be all those things. And that's actually mm. what we were created to be. So when that movie came, I mean, you know, I sobbed like you were, you pulled the car over to, so I could like pull myself together after we saw that movie, because I was like 
I was sobbing. It was all of a sudden everything in my life made sense Wow! because there was an example of everything I believe that women are created to be was in that character. And she was not a man hater. No, she, she loved she she came alongside the men. She had to help the men like she knew the men needed the strength that she had. So, yes, women do see themselves. as. I love it. The little girl might daydream about becoming a mommy or having a having beautiful blonde hair like Barbie or becoming a famous movie star like Wonder Woman or a superhero or a world class athlete or discovering a medical breakthrough that changes the world. I've met, you know, young girls that are going to change the world by these awesome breakthroughs. They will. And it's and they they will and they can. But when you're eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, the danger is that when you live in these fantasy worlds, they actually become your identity. As right. You into high school. Right. 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 And, and that's some of what we're going to talk about. The real issue of daydreaming is not that he or she daydreams. It's what their daydreaming produces. They become a, it's become a very long process of creating for themselves an idolized image. So what we do in our daydreams is we create these images that we would want to be. And then all of a sudden we actually start believing that we could be those people. And the whole world tells us that we're not. Yes. And it damages our heart even further. Can I say one comment about the Please. Barbie though? Because I know all the women are thinking this right now. None of us ever wanted to be Barbie. Of course. We just wanted her the stuff. The hair. She said, I would say the no, hair. No, I'm just saying like Barbie. we wanted her stuff. Her stuff. But I don't think anyone admired her and was like, look at Barbie. She's like changing the world. She's protecting the innocent. She's fighting for the vulnerable. That's in us. And that's why Barbie was like, yeah, I wouldn't mind having a waist like that and, and breasts like that. But and her stuff, like I love all of her stuff. Her car. Her and car. Ken, she had everything. Right? Wasn't Ken, Ken was pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Ken was the opposite of what every woman wants. Well, he didn't have anything. Even in Toy Story, he was he's kind of really <laughs> pathetic. He's not like a good example of a man. But that was, but that was why we all like when we found a superhero. So yeah. the same thing that is men, like men want to save the world and do all these great things. Women have always had that, but we've really not been given permission to do wow, that that's before so that movie. And well, what happens in the little girl when she stays there? In the next 10 to 15 years, she'll create an imaginary self that is flawless, mm -hmm. superior, and is worthy of love, admiration, and worship. Yeah. It is just that, an idealized image. It only exists in her mind. It is a static, it is static and unchanging rather than dynamic and a free image. At some point in her high school career, this ideal sinks into her subconscious as the major of her identity and worth. Her sense of insecurity will deepen as she has now, she now must compare her real self to, to her false superior image. Impossible. Imp and I think that's all it's true for struggle. little girls yes. and little boys. And that's why middle school is so awkward. Middle school is horrible. The worst we should outlaw it. We should, we should render people unconscious from the time they're 12 <laughs> and then bring them back when they're like I mean, 25. That's what all the adults are trying oh, to say. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what the drugs are doing. That's it. Oh, okay. The prescription drugs are keeping sorry, us unconscious. Sorry, we won't go that way. Uh-huh. She also may be driven to become, maybe driven to become this ideal. That happens internally on the inside of her. What happens externally is that she begins to pursue glory. After all, if she is superior, then, then glorious things ought to happen mm. in her life, right? She may pursue being president of the student body, maybe valedictorian of her class, a star soccer player, first chair in her city orchestra, head cheerleader, homecoming queen, captain of her softball team, 
or even president of her athletes in actions club. Right. Mm. Not that any of those things are wrong, but we over, we overcompensate, we overachieve to try to make up for this ideal image that we've created. And we just, this hole keeps getting deeper and deeper. We do have a generation of exhausted young adults. They have exhausted themselves. They've exhausted themselves because of what we've told them. Yeah. And again, I'm going to I'm going to do another plug. Make sure you read The Coddling of the American Mind. It's not about us spoiling our kids, although we have. You can't spoil people with love. Right. You, we love very well. The point of it is, though, that we've created all these safety exactly. nets around our kids. That's so the difference. They can't get allergies and they, you yes. know, they get sick quick now because yes. we, we don't let them play in the dirt. Right. And, and in our universities, we teach them 30 year old principles and we've coddled their mind to not create. Yes. And it's a it's a brilliant read. So this then is the third reason that we find it really hard to live in our hearts. We've created and embraced an ideal of what we are supposed to be and supposed to achieve. This ideal does not lie in the center of the heart where the heart really knows who the person is. This ideal creates a religious and phony Christianity. Yeah, no one likes that. I, I, it's a, it's a powerful statement yeah. that are literally our fantasies, our daydream life. As we enter high school, we can't live up to them. So our heart even gets more damaged. And that literally creates a religious and phony Christianity. And that's what we're seeing in Christianity in the West. Right. That's what we see here in Europe. Yes. It's a phony religious Christianity, all about being moral, all about going to the next conference, all about whatever it is, and it's there's no authenticity to it, and so it's not real to us. Well, there's no change of hearts. Right. There's change well, of, hey. of outside behavior, but the hearts are not actually changed. We the, Living in Spain has shown me more about the beauty of who God is and the damage that religion does more than any other place. Absolutely. Because the sacredness of their ceremonies here and, you know, at Easter time— how much they put into it, how sincere and devoted they are is so beautiful. And the way that they celebrate Jesus Christ is so beautiful. The way that they torment and torture themselves and the expectations that and the pressure they are under during that time right. is devastating. To you watch. should see these guys. The darkness they, that settles. These is heavy. men carry these they're not floats. They're statues of dead Jesus. Which or, weigh the, the equivalent of what? A two, uh, F-250. A Ford F-150. Yeah. yeah, truck. And they're, 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 it's the little penance. They're, they're hurting themselves in penance to God. Because Jesus because yeah. yeah, because Jesus was. And, and they should be too. It's a religious activity. Yeah. And it's like, it's a crazy thing to watch though, because I think that's part of all of us is there is a devotion that's really beautiful. And then there is a like self-affliction that's really torturous. Yeah. And it's the opposite of living in our true hearts. Sadly, we incorporate Christianity into this ideal image. We decide to become a Daniel or a Deborah or a Paul the Apostle, someone superior. We feel the necessity to become someone outstanding. And this is where we're going to get into some of the hardest stuff for me. We may blindly call it a pursuit of excellence. When in reality, it may be a compulsive drivenness to be superior, a pursuit of glory, if you will. It is a self it is selfish ambition at best. So this is the this is the heart. This 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 part is tough for me All right, babe, I because I was you. taught it. It's just hard. The pursuit doles the real passions and desires of our hearts. Mm. It stifles the voice inside that knows who we are and what part God has designed for us to play in his great and eternal 
story. Yes. Religion literally takes our stories away. That's horrible. If we don't get rid of it. <laughs> That's so sad. Is that incredible? I know. All the people that think what, what wastes life is not what wastes your life. <laughs> The creation of an idealized image damages us in so many ways. It is, however, very difficult for the average Christian to acknowledge that he has created this image, that he actually believes somewhere deep inside himself that he thinks he ought to be a superior person or he is, in fact, superior in his own mind. This is not drive for excellence. This is drive for supremacy. And most Christians have a difficult time believing that they are superior at some place inside of their heart. Mm -hmm. So we're driving for excellence. You know, we wrote, we write, we write these books and we read these self-help books right. like crazy. Right. And we're, we're going to be positive no matter what, right. and all these things. And all we're doing is feeding that fake image, that idealized image that we produced from our daydreaming right. and from our childhood. It's not authentic. And it continually damages our heart. So there's no way that we can live out of a true, pure, whole heart, living in a superior Christianity that I'm going to be better than everyone else right. around me. I was like this. I am like this. <laughs> I am. I taught a whole generation that you were born to change the world. We sing worship songs that we're going to be world changers. And and this is all we taught from the stage in Rock the Nations in the 90s and and at the, the call in these different events. And, and I literally, every time I run into one of those people, I repent and say, man, I'm sorry. I gave you a false message. You are not supposed to be superior. You're not supposed to be better than everyone else. But what happened to them? Like when they graduated from your programs and they quit going to the conferences, they fell flat on their faces and they realized that they were human, yep. ordinary people, just regular, ordinary people. We're going to talk more about that. Okay. Oh, this is tough, but okay. But can I make the world around me extraordinary of course like That's if i like if i'm raising children can i do an extraordinary job at that if i'm called to a corporation can i be excellent of at course. that of course that's the point right so for for most of us the thought that we could be driven by this pride is utterly unacceptable and ridiculous okay for as long as there is something inside of us that requires us to be outstanding, that requires us to compare ourselves to other Christians and requires us to be driven people, we cannot live in through a soft, responsive and ransomed heart. Mm. And I never knew this, by the way, that the Ransom Heart Ministries, yeah. John Eldridge yeah. ministry came from this teaching of from oh, I didn't know John that. Smelter and his, in well, his that makes sense. revelation that. of the heart. Okay. Yeah, it's incredible. But did you read? Did you hear that last part? That it, 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 we are we required to be we feel like we're required to be driven people and we cannot live in and through a soft, responsive and trans ransomed heart when we're always being driven to be better than everyone else. There's a there's a woman in Boston. He tells that he was counseling. John Smeltzer was counseling. And every time her husband would leave for work, she'd fantasize that she was this wonder woman, mm. but that she'd actually kill bad men. Mm. So she'd go into homes and she'd go into places and she would kill men that were beating their wives. And, but, and she would spend hours wow. in a daydream. And then she'd literally come out of it and realize she had not done any housework. She'd not done any of her job. She'd not done anything for the day and her. And it was started to damage her marriage. 
And John had to counsel her out of her daydreaming wow. and her superior imagery that she was creating into being okay with being an ordinary housewife woman and that she could be excellent at that and change her world around her by just being ordinary. It's an incredible story. Yeah. I would like to read that story. Yeah, well, I'll play it for you. My own story of wanting to be great, pursuing my own glory. I wanted to be the best preacher. I wanted to be that world-renowned rock Christian rock star. You know, there's a dream that I had one time of five, five trophies in one hand and five homeless people in the other. And which one would I choose? What? Yeah, and it's it's choosing the greatness instead of going to where nobody knows you and serving the homeless. Oh my God. That's the point. And that's happened to me over and over <laughs> and over. What did you pick? Which, well, which one of the father, when the father asked me now, which one do you want? What do you think? I'm, I'm living on the side of a mountain in Southern Spain with, you know, 30 some yeah. young people. That's what we're doing with our lives. That's your stage. We're hidden. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's wonderful. Our idealized, our idealized image can be terribly damaged to us. The idealized image must be surrendered over time until we come to excel, accept ourselves as ordinary. Mm. Oh, stab right through my heart. Our American culture is saturated with the idea that to be number one is the only one. In our country, number two does not exist or account for much. Who will ever remember the runner up in the World Series last year? Or who lost the NBA championship? The runner-up in American Idol may, may or may never be remembered. Number two in the Fortune 500, will, Fortune 500 will never be honored. Most of us remember many of the presidents of the U.S., but few of us remember the vice who president. Ran, well, or who ran against them. Or who ran against them. Yeah. Our churches have bought this lie as well. Be superior. Be number one. Everything else is a bust of failure. The highest gifts are pursued. The one that memorizes the most scripture is the best. We must attend all of the conferences so that we don't miss anything in God's kingdom. We must manifest his presence of Holy Spirit in crazy physical ways beyond what Holy Spirit is doing. Or we have to learn the most theology and the most Hebrew and Greek and become biblical scholars better than everyone else. Otherwise, we remain insignificant and less than we are required to be hmm. the superior, the spectacular, the extraordinary, the unusual, the special and the outstanding are applause in our churches. The ordinary simply does not count. OK, here's my question. Yes. What is the difference between doing because, th- you know, that I'm I believe in excellence um, <laughs> some people call me a perfectionist, but I do, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it really well or I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And don't put my name on something if it's just slapped together. Right. Because I'm not going to own it. So what is the difference between doing things with excellence and caring about people and thinking that it's important to do things well Yeah. and being an ordinary person? Because I think I'm the most ordinary person in the world. Like, I am just a, what would no would call me a basic white girl. That's what he would call me. Yeah. But he asked him and I were on the phone the other day for one of our chats and he was talking, we were talking about Justin Bieber and I just seen a video and I said, do I need to be concerned about Justin Bieber? He looks a little thin. He looks a little skinny. I'm worried about him. And he's like, no, he's okay, mom. And I'm like, well, I'm just gonna keep praying for him. Cause he just looks a little, little thin to me. And I was like, son, can you even imagine the kind of pressure that fame is? 
Like if all the dreams I have for my kids out of all the work, you know, the worst thing could happen is Michael killed himself. The second worst thing for me for my kids would be fame. Yes. Because of the pressure and the expectation and the horrific things that come with that. So, so I think a lot of people attribute excellence or doing things well or being really good at what you do with fame. What's the separation? Well, that's great. I mean, that's what we're going to talk about. The, the, what does it mean to be an ordinary Christian? See, the superior things, it's, it's interesting. We're never challenged to accept, accept obscurity, commonality, simplicity, and a lack of notoriety. We're always challenged the other way, right? And so, but that, that, that which is closer to the truth in God's kingdom is con- contrary to the culture. Okay. Ordinariness, or however you say that, yeah. is actually God's standard. He chose Peter and right. all these guys that were just ordinary fishermen yes. that become extraordinary under God's power. Right. But then they limp away as ordinary men. Well, they also were a source of great frustration for Jesus because they were so ordinary. There were many things they just wouldn't get. The superior <laughs> things. This is it. You're saying it. You're you're getting ahead of me here. I'm sorry. The, no, I love it. The superior things that transpire in God's kingdom, however, is because God alone is superior and he does superior things, not because his servants are superior. Mm-hmm. God doesn't do these amazing superior things because we're so cool. Right. Of course. He doesn't because he's so because cool. Because he's so cool. As Paul rightly says, we have this treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, in the jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're simply jars of clay, and we're not okay with that. I wasn't okay with that. Really? I would have never been okay with somebody who would have told me, you're just, I mean, they said it all the time. They know the quote of the scriptures is, we're just jars of clay and we're here to be molded by Christ. Go change the world, young man. Yeah. Go take them out. You know, all the things we say. And I, and in my little mind, in my little heart, yeah. if I wasn't the best of the best at everything, I was a failure. Where'd that come from? My Well, my father from <laughs> growing up with a, a man that didn't live from his heart for many years. Now he does. Yeah. Right. And he lives from his heart in an amazing way. But it took a long time. It took me a long did time. Did you kind of look down at the ordinary folks? Of course. I always did. You know that. I know. <laughs> I always look down at those My favorite that people are in the world are the ordinary folks, you know. There are not many of us that are happy to be clay pots unless we're spectacular and rare clay pots, beautifully painted and decorated, made from the best china that can be purchased. In this supernatural balance between this superior, awesome God living through weak, ordinary, and frail earthlings, that is the kingdom modus operandi. Whoa. Operandi. But when we strive... at me? That's good, man. What is that? When we strive to be superior or do the superior things in our own power... We're then of the culture and not of the kingdom. Hmm. And the whole church is stuck in the culture, not in the kingdom. But what if there's a relief to being a regular clay pot? Well, and there is. There's I mean, actually freedom in your heart. What a deep breath. So what does it mean then to be an ordinary Christian? Does that mean that uncommon achievements are not possible to the Christian? Does ordinary mean average? To be an ordinary Christian is to be these five Things we'll end it with these five things. Okay. All right. You ready? Your five things always go really long though. Well, sure don't try and cram them in. And I and I'll be honest. You got the last feedback one, from the, your daughter. The last one on this down. one is tough for me as well. Okay. So uh, we'll go slow on this. But go here's slow. the five. 
We're weak, we're needy, we're wounded, we're limited, and we can be sinful. Mm-hmm. Now, most Christians would say we're sinful, but New Testament believer, we're, we're, it's actually unnatural for us to sin, but we choose to anyway. We always have free will. In our flesh. And this is what our flesh is, of, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit. So let's look at the five real quick. We are limited. Understanding our strengths and especially our limitations are one of Paul's concerns in Romans 12, 3. He says this, to the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment. Mm. To accept our limitations is no easy task. It involves what Jesus meant when he said, whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. When Jesus, what Jesus did not mean here is to lose your true heart. He meant to know of and begin the long abandonment of your idealized image, that one you created. Okay. That's what it means to lose ourselves, to lose what we think we ought to be, to lose what we think we ought to achieve. That's what we must give. Which up. maybe we were taught that was the difference between flesh and spirit. It's true. Now we're gonna we'll get into that a little bit deeper, but okay. yes, absolutely, that's the difference. Okay. But limitations is number one. We we are limited being as human beings, we're limited. I'm now, super limited. Well, when God's supernatural ability comes on us, yeah, we're unbelievable. Right. But then we limp away as ordinary limited people again. <laughs> Which you watch me do every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you watch me do every week now, too. <laughs> Secondly, we have many limitations that we must accept. Our bodies get old and sick. Mm. And that's a tough one. Most one. of us are not world-class people in body and face department. Yeah. Right? I mean, Hate that we're pretty good too. looking, but we're we have ordinary faces. And bodies, and we have to accept the limitations in life that these realities bring. Even if we had world class looks, we must accept the reality that time will erode these blessings. Mm. Also, we must accept the limitations that our minds and our human place on the amount of uh, amount and quality of knowledge that we can acquire. Even if we had Einstein's prestigious mental abilities, Paul's words are appropriate here. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. Wow. So if we if we assume we know anything, we're the most we're the most the most incredible theologian, which we get a lot of theologians at our in our class here at G4. Right. Young people who have gone they know to every, seminary. They know everything. I'll just do a quick Commercial here, don't go to seminary. It will steal your faith. Trust me, I've got great places to send you. But please, if you're planning on going to seminary, stop and call me. It will kill you. So we're, we're limited, right? Thirdly, there are limitations of circumstances, opportunities, geographic, time and space. The middle class home will not provide the opportunities afforded to the wealthy. And the child from the projects even has much fewer chances. Not everyone can go to Harvard or Yale. Even there, one cannot take every course available or get every doctorate possible. It's true. We're all limited. The singular outstanding gift or the ability of some people makes the acceptance of the idea of being ordinary very difficult for most of us. Many public fi- figures have extraordinary talents. All the outstanding and beautiful f- f- beautiful people we can think of. Name some of those beautiful people you can think of. Carrie Black. Ooh, very limited ordinary man. Yeah. Brad Pitt. 
right? He's beautiful. I mean, he's a beautiful man. He is beautiful. You said it, Justin Bieber, one of the most talented, awesome young men on the earth. He's realizing he's just an ordinary man. Yeah. I mean, Jim Carrey, outstanding, incredible, and funny guy in the world, says he wishes everyone could have fame and wealth and realize that that's the last thing that they want on Oh, her. yeah. Because it's driven him crazy. It's, yeah. It's, right? It's made it. So we imagine all these most incredible famous athletes or whoever it is. Yeah, I think that. Or brilliant scientists. It's not hard to see that these people are suffering and struggling more than we are. Well, of course they are. I think they have everything. Because they can't, they they don't, they cannot get to the place of being ordinary right. because everybody says they're not. All the well, time. what was the story you always told about? Um, was it Deion Sanders, one of my favorite people in the world? Yeah. But the, the day after he won the Super Bowl, he wanted to. The night that the, the, the night, night they won the Super Bowl, he got drunk, got in his car, flipped his car and was hanging upside down on a bridge. And he wanted to die. to die. He was dying because he realized that he got the The only thing he wanted in life was to win and the Super Bowl. And there was nothing after and that. And it was nothing. That's it's building that container. Yeah. In your young 20s, he started getting millions and millions of dollars. He's still one of the cockiest guys on the planet. I love Dion. He fell in love with Jesus that night yeah. and God rescued him. And he's a, he's a good man, but he's a but that must man. happen to a lot of people though that you when you do finally achieve what you think is the the pinnacle of life, that the next morning is very is a huge letdown. Absolutely, I always think about that after the Oscars or the Academy Awards or everything that people go home and they're like, so I got this, this gold it. statue. Now what? That's exactly right. You know, it's still got it's, feel so it's empty. the containers we build. Like yeah. my marriage still sucks. I'm still right. addicted to drugs. I still right. am an alcoholic. And we do that in our I'm ordinary life. Still insecure. Life. I'm still whatever. Right. I'm going to get this degree. This I'm stuff get didn't go away. Married. I'm going to have that kid, and yeah. we're still empty. And I'm still me. Because our hearts, we're not living out of our hearts. We're still living out of our minds. That's my thing. Every day is I still wake up and I look in the mirror. And, oh, guess what? I'm still me. <laughs> and are you okay with that? I'm yeah, I'm getting okay with it, but it's like it's kind of it's it's been a lifetime of like, am I okay with just being me? Wow. Well, I, I guess that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. We have to come to that place where it's okay being ordinary. Yeah. Knowing that we're gonna walk in extraordinary when God comes on us and when he when we're doing what we were born on this earth to do. But then we, again, just become ordinary human beings. It's a very difficult thing. Just because we achieve amazing things doesn't make us extraordinary, nor does it mean that it's wrong to not to pursue excellence. It only means that the ordinary person, one who is limited, wounded, weak, needy, and sinful, has achieved excellent performance on one or more fields. They are all ordinary according to the limitations above. Mm. It doesn't matter how smart you are how much you've achieved, how many trophies you've won, or any of those things. The bottom line is we're all ordinary according to our limitations because we're all limited. We're all growing old. We're all getting, you know, our faces are dropping. Gravity will find you. What is it, 2 Corinthians 4.16? I love that's one of my favorite verses. Therefore, do not let your heart be sad. Although you're wasting away outwardly, (laughs) inwardly, I'm renewing you day by day. Thank God you can say that when you're 90. If you're okay with being ordinary, yeah. then you're becoming younger in your spirit man exactly. day by day. Exactly. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, man. I, I could your tell Your heart my own is reverse stories. aging if that's the goal of your life. <laughs> it's true. Uh, 
I'm limited. I mean, I'm I'm finding this on the basketball court here playing with the G42 kids. Your I, brain is already there, but I, your body won't go. My body will not go. And I mean, it's <laughs> it's embarrassing. I'm oh, I'm in, but it's really good for me. Yeah. And now I'm just on the court to be a body and then to watch the young guys I think you're get on out the of court control. to be a father. Well, that's right. I help the young guys who get a little out you're of control. You're the bull elephant with the little baby <laughs> elephants, and it's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing and thing. And none of them ever come to me and say, We want Gary because Gary is like basically LeBron James. Right. They're like, we want Gary because of his presence. Right. Because I don't let their Noah, egos Noah, take Noah over. Noah would always say, if dad, will, if dad will commit to coming to play basketball, more people will show up. Of course. Well, because. Because they I, need you. I love them on the basketball court when they act like exactly. idiots. Exactly. Yeah, That's because the they're, father. They're all wrestling through they're their, wrestling or, through their ordinary ego. hearts. And some of them are really, really <laughs> good players. I love this. The, the, the Jesus used this word, uh, tanoshish in Greek. The Greek language, it means to empty. It's used in Philippians 2.6. Jesus, as the internal second person of the Trinity, emptied, right, or tanoshished himself and took upon himself the form of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so Holy Spirit spoke and said this, the essence of tanoshish is limitations. The resentments we have because of our limitations are usually toward God. Wow. So what happens is when we realize we're limited and we can't do something, we blame God because we should be able to do it. Interesting. And it closes our heart even more. My anger over my limitations is almost gone because God requires me to accept my limitations with joy, not resentment. And accepting our limitations, we will find freedom from addiction. I want you to get this. Guys, this is how important this is. I can't I can't end until I get this into your spirits. Okay. We literally become resentful towards God when we realize how limited we are and we become addicted to things. So I've got to get over my anger first, right? And I've got to look at it my limitations with joy, not resent, resentment. The core of every single addiction, sexual, alcoholic, eating disorders, drug abuse, overeating, whatever the addiction happens to be, if you're a Christian, is resentment towards God that there are limitations in your life that you cannot change. What? Yes. That's a whole series on its own. Well, of course. And we can, we can branch off all I we think want. we could spend a lot of time on that. So when we accept our limitations, because limitations mean you are an ordinary Christian. That's why we accept our yeah. limitations. We'll get to number two on the next ep- on okay. the next podcast. Okay. It goes in uh, the next next one is is weak. We're weak people. Yeah. And and we need to hear it. It's the same thing. These these five things will break your addictions in your life. These five things when you will get to a place where you're okay with being ordinary. Yes. And you start to to rejoice in your ordinariness and you start to live out of an expectation that the, when the father walks in the room, extraordinary things happen. Exactly. I can do nothing but what the father is saying. Mm. So this is how Jesus lived in his heart. He did nothing. We talked about this on a couple episodes ago. He had to wait for four days before he went to his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, to rise, raise him from the dead. He had to let him die because the father was saying, don't go. Are we willing to wait on the Lord? Which had to be so hard for him. Oh my gosh. Well, Mary nobody was his ever, best friend. I know, but nobody ever looks at that from Jesus' perspective, except for with judgment on Jesus. Right. Like what, how hard that was for him to choose to limit himself. To be obedient to what the father was asking him to do, which was something much bigger. That's so hard. It was it was actually to, to get into the face of all the religious. 
It was always to get in the face of the religious, but the people that got hurt, that he dearly loved, those were his best friends. That was his tribe. That was his family. It's amazing. Mary and Martha were rehearsing how angry they were with God. They both said the same thing to Jesus, separate from one another. Mary and Martha were handfuls, man. (laughs) They were handfuls. Okay. Okay. Uh, What's your limitations, babe? My limitations? I'm completely limited all the time. I am physically limited all the time, always have been. But I really honestly have never blamed God um, for my limitations. I always have. I've always gone inward with it. Yeah. I always have. You have. It's interesting. I'm watching you, though, with your health stuff. You've been limited. And let's start rejoicing in that, those limitations and see what God does. I think it could be awesome. You are awesome at it. Like, I think the way that you handle my my chronic pain and my insomnia and everything, like, you're so graceful and you're so amazing. I don't know if I could be married to me, but you do a great job being married to me. And <laughs> you never make me feel worse. You never make me feel bad. You never put shame on me. Because I think you see I carry enough of that on my own. But I'm not really mad at God about it. I'm just like, why can't I break through this thing? Yeah. So well, let's keep journeying in this down this hole of the heart and see if we can't get some healing. That'd be awesome. Hey, let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, we just ask that uh, you'd expose our hearts to ourselves, that we, we would see what styles that we've given into. We would see, see what idealized images that we've created of our lives that have broken our hearts over and over. Father, would you bring a revelation on being ordinary, mm-hmm. that it's OK to be limited? It's OK to be weak. It's OK to, to, to be these things because. Because when we're with you, we become extraordinary. When you come in the room, we're okay. And so, God, we only want to do what you're saying. So we just submit to this in Jesus' name. Mm, Amen. All right, guys. We will talk to you next week on episode eight.